0: He confronts these people they get into a confrontation because he listened to the counsel of these men these men who did not know any better he promises to increase their burdens to put more taxes on him without care for them he didn't care who they were if you don't have a kingdom you're not a king If all your people die you're no longer a king forgetting the fact that the purpose and the primary reason that God gave kings in the first place even though God counseled against it for the people, the reason that he was okay is that the king's job was to protect and provide for the people, not to abuse
1: them. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host for this show. Thank you for listening. We are in the second week of our Christmas series called In Wonder. This week, um, Daniel's talking about the lineage of Jesus So um, there's a lot of unlikely characters in that lineage that brought our Savior And he's talking about the story of Rehoboam Um, Wanted to tell you, we are having Christmas Eve services Again, Christmas Eve, if you're new to Christmas Is December 24th, the day before Christmas Um, We are having Christmas Eve services at the church We're actually having three of them The service times for that are 2.30pm, 4pm, and 5.30pm uh, we're having a kids choir at the 2:30 and 4 service. Um, so I encourage you to come out. That's always a fun uh, service that's um, just a good time to get together and celebrate the birth of Christ. So um, put that on your calendar. We hope to see you there. Here's Daniel with a message.
0: 2nd Chronicles chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, and verse 13, 16, and 19. 2 Chronicles 10, 1 through 4. Thirteen, sixteen, 16, and 19. Then Jeroboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to make him king. When Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, he returned to Egypt. So the people sent and summoned him, and when Jeroboam and all of Israel came, they spoke to Jeroboam the king, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service your father, Of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us and we will serve you verse 13 the king answered them harshly and King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them the people answered the king saying what portion do we have in David we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse every man to your tents O Israel now look after your own house David so all of Israel departed to their tents. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David even till this day. Now, Father, we thank you so much for your truth. We thank you that your truth is eternal. We thank you that things that are written years and years ago still impact us today because they are words from an eternal God. Now we pray that the Spirit of God We use the word of God to show us the Son of God, that all that we do today may be done to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm delighted to be with you this morning as we continue this new series, In Wonder, called In Wonder, the improbable journey towards Christmas. Last week, Pastor Nathan shared with us that Jesus was a paradox, is a paradox, both God and man, both king and servant. That Jesus has come to show us his paradoxical nature, if you will. And as we capture that, we will be in awe and wonder of who he is. Now this, this day, in the next few weeks, we will be looking at a few unlikely, unusual, rarely discussed figures that find their way into the genealogy, the line, the family tree of Jesus Today we will talk about one of those characters. Now many of these characters that we see in the Old Testament are what we like to call a typology. Now what's a typology? What's a fancy word? It simply means that many of these Old Testament people and events point towards Christ. They prefigure Christ. They prefigure their New Testament fulfillment. And so one of those typologies that we will be looking at today would be a gentleman named Reroboam. Yes, I know he's one of your fancy names. I know you know you've named your children Reroboam. I know that's a normal name in your household. Reroboam is one of those typologies. And as you even look at what a typology is, think about the the story of Exodus, the people coming out of Egypt. Uh, God delivers them out of Egypt, takes them through the wilderness. He does it through Moses. He brings them on this journey towards the promised land. That prefigures Christ, who saves us from our bondage, not in Egypt from sin, and brings us into the promised land, which is in heaven. Jesus, like a Moses, a better Moses. This is what a typology looks like. So, when we look at Rehoboam, we see a typology, but better yet, an anti typology. He is the opposite of Christ in every single way. Rehoboam, the son of an unholy union, an unholy union between King Solomon and an Ammonite woman if you're familiar with Bible history, you know that God warned the Israelites to not marry into the Ammonite race. Why? Not because he hated them because of their ethnicity, but because they were a pagan culture who would cause God's people to stray away from him. And so God warned them, do not marry, do not mingle with these people because they hate me and they will draw your heart away from me. But Solomon marries this woman and the offspring of that marriage is Rehoboam. Rehoboam is an ungodly man, and it makes sense coming from that ungodly background that he would be ungodly. In fact, Rehoboam would enter into wholesale idolatry, forsaking the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel. He would forsake him and go after other gods, and not only go after other gods, but lead the entire nation of Judah into idolatry. Thousands of people who forsook God because of his leadership. In fact, when the Bible speaks of Rehoboam, (laughs) the summary that the Bible speaks about Rehoboam is that he was an evil man. No wonder he grew up in a household of a father who had wholesale rejected God, who had modeled for him reliance on pleasure and excess, but not on God. Makes me wonder about myself. What am I modeling before my children? What am I modeling before those who I mentor? What am I modeling before those who I have influences? Am I modeling that I am a man who relies on God? Or am I modeling that I am a man who's driven by pleasure and excess? Rehoboam grows up in a household where his father has rejected God. So when the Bible summarizes for us that Rehoboam was evil, imagine that on your tombstone. That is what is left, here lies Daniel, he hated God. Here lies Daniel, he was evil. What a legacy to leave behind for your family and friends. Daddy was evil. Mommy was evil. For friends to remember you as, man, if you were to put a a phrase to capture that man's life, he hated God. This is Rehoboam. This is who the person we're talking about this morning. Now, if you are a thinking person and you have a breath of life in you, you're saying to yourself, how does this creature... How does this ungodly being make it into the line and lineage and bloodline of Jesus? Well, folks, I wish I had all the answers. One answer is because God is sovereign. Amen. God isn't bound by whether we're good or bad, his purposes will always be accomplished. God uses good and evil to bring about the purpose that he determines. The Bible says it this way that we know that God makes all things, good and bad, work together. For his purpose. God uses Rehoboam at least in one way that I could see. To revive and refresh the desire for a good king. Folks, there's nothing like a bad supervisor. A bad leader. A bad friend that makes you hunger and thirst for a better friend. That makes you hope that you would have a better ruler who would rule over you justly. He points towards Christ that there is no human king that can lead like God. That's an amen moment. Rehoboam prefigures Christ by showing us what Christ doesn't look like, by making the people hungry and hope for a king who will rule them righteously. God is sovereign and God uses him. God uses Rehoboam also to preserve the line of David through whom the Messiah would come. Oh, he was a bad man. He was evil, but he was a great warrior. He fought well. He protected the line of Judah to make sure that one day the Messiah would come through. God sovereignly used him for his purpose. He was a tool in the hand of a sovereign God who uses both good and evil. Now, nevertheless, I'm not intending to make Roboam into a good person. His life and his leadership shows us the importance of having good counsel. His life and his leadership, in fact, if I say it the other way, his life and his leadership shows us the consequences of having bad counsel. Rehoboam's life is filled with a man who was moved by his emotions rather than truth. Rehoboam's counsel led him to make bad decisions. So this morning I'm hoping as we go through this text that we will see what it looks like to have bad counsel and we will also flesh out even more that Rehoboam is the anti-type to who Christ is. Now additionally, I hope that we will see that we are more like Rehoboam than we even care to imagine. And we are more like him than we would even admit. And so, in order to sort of guide our thoughts, to sort of navigate this text this morning, because I know this is your favorite passage and you read it all the time, in order to guide our thoughts, I found four observations that I want to pull out of this text. Okay? Are you with me? Here are four observations that I see. From verse 1 through 5, we will see the complaint. We will see the complaint of the people to the king. Verse 6 through 11, we will see the counsel. We will see the counsel that was offered to the king by the elders and by the young man. And in verse 12 through 16, we will see the confrontation. The confrontation between the king and the people. And finally, in verse 16 through 19, we will see the consequence. The consequence of the king's counsel. The consequence of the king's action. Well, let's explore these. Verse 1 through 5 opens up and says, then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. He rise to Shechem. Verse 2, when Jeroboam, now I know there's a lot of boams in here, so if you want to do Ray and Jay, fine with me. So Ray goes to Shechem and Jay hears about it. Amen? Amen? All right. So Jeroboam, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, he hears about it because he was in Egypt because he had fled from Solomon, Rehoboam's father, because he had tried to divide the kingdom. But then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. And so all of Israel, this is the northern part of Israel. Now we're beginning to see a division between southern kingdom and northern kingdom. And Jeroboam comes back with people of Israel, and they speak to Rehoboam the king. They say to him, your father, your father Solomon, he made our yoke hard. He put heavy burdens on us. Now, would you lighten those hard services that your father put on us and the heavy yoke he put on us, and then we will serve you. Now, I know in our day and age, we, you know, this word can, can be a little bit of a hard thing to say. Essentially, this was a quid pro quo. Amen. They said, if you do this, we will do that. They they essentially said to him, You are here in Shechem to be crowned king. But we got a complaint. In verse 5, it says there, he said to them, Return to me on the third day, and the people departed. Now, if Jeroboam's story stopped here, he would have been a good king. Here's what Jeroboam just did. And I wish I could learn from this all the time. He was hit with something that offended him, something that perhaps frustrated him. I came to become king. I came to be crowned and celebrated. You hit me with a complaint and an ultimatum. He doesn't act rashly. Give me three days to to process this. We could learn from that. Perhaps we should be slow to speak and, and swift to hear. Somebody says something that offends you, give me a few days, let me think about this. You know, in the Christian world, we'll say, let me pray about it. You know what that means i'm gonna go home and be mad about it (laughs) let me pray about it let me process the information you just hit me with if his story stopped here he would have been a great leader because not only did he go process in verse six we see that he consulted the elders but that's a little later on Rehoboam travels to shechem normally the king would have been crowned in judah or in jerusalem because he was the king of jerusalem jerusalem was the capital of all of israel but he goes to Shechem, which points to the fact that a division was already afoot, that they were already being disconnected, that there was already some tension in there. But he navigates it well. He says, give me some time. Now, Daniel, when I was younger, I didn't put on my best clothes. I smell good, look good. I'm coming here to be crown king. And you have the nerve, the unmitigated gall to hit me with a complaint and an ultimatum? It wouldn't have been give me three days. I have your answer for you right now. Jeroboam shows some restraint. It must have taken him for surprise. Uh, Let's humanize Jeroboam for a second. Imagine what it's like, your biggest, happiest day of your life. You're coming to be celebrated, and you're hit with complaints and ultimatums. Would you be angry? Would you be frustrated? Would you feel ambushed? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt ambushed? where everybody was having an intervention, but you didn't know? Jeroboam reacts wisely. I imagine his shock. I imagine his frustration, and I applaud his restraint, even now. Sadly, Jeroboam teaches us something about ourselves, that we are sometimes swift to speak when we should listen. But his story, sadly still, Doesn't end here. He goes and he seeks counsel. So far, so good, Rehoboam. He is cooking with gas. He seeks counsel from the elders. Look with me, if you will, in verse 6 through 11. It says here, then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served with Solomon, his father, while he was still alive. And he said to them, how do you counsel me? There's a lot to unpack in there. He goes to the elders. This is not just about age, this is about seasonedness, if you will. This is about maturity. These elders are described as men who stood before Solomon. Here's what we know about Solomon. The Bible and even sources outside of the Bible said Solomon was arguably the wisest king that ever lived. These wise men stood before the wisest man ever lived. They learned a few things from him of how the politics of the palace and the kingdom works. They learn how to navigate people. They learn how to lead people by serving people. They give him the greatest advice that he could ever get. They say to Solomon, if you would listen to them, look in verse seven, they say to him, if you would be kind to this people, if you would please them, if you will speak good words to them, They will be your servants forever. That's good leadership. He hears and he listens. Having led people, having been a manager and a leader of people, I have learned that people will do so much more if you just see them. If you just appreciate them, they will work time over time, hours that you never thought they could. They will take initiative, they will be creative because they know you see them. Elders, wise men, who had been navigating the kingdom longer than he's been alive. He's only been alive for 41 years at this point. He goes to them. So far, so good. If his story ended here, he would be a great king. Look at verse 8. But, now you see but in the Bible, something's getting ready to happen. But, he forsook the counsel of the elders. Forsook. That just sounds like a bad word. Forsook. Who says that anymore? Forsook. When you forsook something, you have rejected it. He rejects the counsel of these wise men. Why did you go to them in the first place? He rejected their counsel. And look what he did. Verse verse 8 continues. He says, But he consulted with the young men who grew up with him. Let me let me let me explain something. You've been king for maybe a day. You go to the wise people who have been around kings longer than you've been alive. You reject their counsel for the fools you grew up with, who've only been in the palace just as long as you, maybe a split second later. These are the people that you go now to for consultation. Oh, and they don't don't disappoint. They give real foolish young men unseasoned answer to him. Look what they say to Rehoboam. Verse 9, so Rehoboam, re, says to them, what counsel do you give me so that we can speak to these people? These people who have said to me, lighten my yoke, lighten the yoke that your father has put on us. Verse 10, look what the young men said. The young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, Thus shall you say to the people who said to you that your father had made our yoke heavy, please make it light. Thus you will say to them, My little finger is bigger than my father's loins. Use your imagination. What crass language. First first of all, folks, this is why I know the Bible's real. Because if I was making up a story, I wouldn't put crazy people like this in the Bible. If I was making up a story that would lead to the Messiah who I want people to worship and serve, I will make the Bible perfect. But you've got more soap opera-like stuff in here than you could see on Channel 4. Listen, you watch movie shows, you watch these shows that, that get you all excited, you read the Bible, there's a lot of material in here. I have found that some of these shows are actually still from the Bible, but that's a whole nother ballgame my little finger is bigger than my father's loins. What filthy language from a king. And you would think a man who had all the gumption to first of all approach the elders would hear this and say, oh, y'all are way off. He doesn't. He accepts their counsel. Young men who are in the palace less time than you've been in the palace. Men who grew up in the lap of luxury like you. Spoiled men. Spoiled boys with some power who became spoiled men with much power. And we could argue that they're still boys. They're thinking like, well, these are the people you go to for counsel? It's obvious that real Boom isn't looking for counseling. He's looking for someone to echo him. He's looking for somebody to placate him, somebody to make him feel better. Somebody to to be more concerned about making him happy than convicting him. Christian, before you judge, who's your counsel? Who do you surround yourself with? Do you surround yourself with people who are more concerned with you feeling better than being better? Do you concern yourself and surround yourself with people who just echo what you say? Do you live in an echo chamber where essentially all you care about is hearing your own words and thoughts? out of somebody else's mouth or are you surrounded by people who will convict you of your paradigms and your passions, your thoughts and your your words it's always funny when I see when I haven't had the opportunity to counsel couples, couples aren't coming to counseling to be counseled they're coming for someone to agree with them to tell me how bad my wife is or tell me how bad my husband is so that I can say look the counselor said it Sometimes, folks, you want to come away from the table like, you know you can save time and money if y'all just talk, right? You know you could just save your time getting in the winter, getting in the cold to come and get counsel if you just talk to the person who lives with you. But people are not seeking counsel. They're seeking validation. They want their thoughts to be validated. Before you judge rare bone, think about how many times we gravitate towards counsel that's comfortable rather than counsel that's uncomfortable. How we move towards people who make us Oh, feel good about ourselves. However, wrong our decisions is, you want people that don't judge. People who won't make you look at what you've said and done and weigh the impact of it. Perhaps we're more like Rehoboam than we think. Perhaps he's more like us than we think. Perhaps this is just natural for humans to seek comfort in that which is familiar. That which makes us feel good rather than that which calls us to be better. Rehoboam seeks counsel. He seeks counsel from these young men, these foolish men. He ignores the counsel of the elders who said to him, if you would hear these people, if you would please them, if you would listen to them just this once. The people then asked for him to remove the taxes and the burdens. They said, lessen it. That's a reasonable ask. Here's what we know about history in this passage. The kingdom was not struggling for money. The the taxes on the people was not because the kingdom and the government needed it. It was because the people, the king, wanted to live in luxury. He wanted to buy as much as he can. He wanted to get all he can, can all he gets, and sit on the can. He wanted to just absorb it all for no reason except that he thought that he could. He goes to the elders, amen. Give me three days, amen. But forsakes the counsel of the elders and reaches down to these young men who surround him. And if you know kings, the people that mostly surround kings and presidents are people that make you feel good. They don't want to be fired. They don't want to be taken out of, out of the palace. They want you to be happy because you know what they say, a happy wife, happy life? No, a happy king, a happy life. And in some cases, a happy king, a life, period. Because the king get angry, he could kill you. These men, even more than saving their own skin, I think were just spoiled brats who saw another spoiled brat and just echoed what he said. This leads into the confrontation with the people, which is our other observation. So our third observation is the confrontation with the king. Look with me, if you will, in verse 12. Having listened to these men, having listened to these young men, here's what happens. So Jeroboam, J, if you will, Jeroboam and all the people of Israel came back to Jeroboam as he directed. And verse 13, the king answered them harshly. Not only did he say what he said, he said it harshly. And King Rehoboam forsook the counsel of the elders. He spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Not only did he not lessen the burdens of these people, not only did he not listen to them and at least accommodate them, he said, I will add to it. He threatens them. In fact, he promises them that I would do to you so much that you would wish for the days that my father was king. He says, I will whip you with scorpions. Now, in this text, it's hard to tell whether he's talking about figurative scorpions, as in there's a whip that has bottles and, and, and metal at the end that rips into the flesh, or he's talking about real scorpions. I don't trust real bomb. This might have been real scorpions. Either way, I don't want a part of it. He is showing how harsh he will be to these people. He is saying that I haven't heard you. I haven't listened to you. Perhaps even those three days that he went to process made him even more angry, more frustrated. I came to be king and you gave me an ultimatum. How dare you? I'm God here. Funny thing happens when we start to put ourselves in the place of judge, jury, and executioner. When we start to judge and condemn people, we start to label people or we start to think of ourselves as better than. Funny thing happens when everybody's a sinner but you're the only saint. He confronts these people. They get into a confrontation because he listens to the counsel of these men, these men who did not know any better. He promises to increase their burdens, to put more taxes on him. Without care for them, he didn't care who they were. If you don't have a kingdom, you're not a king. If all your people die, you're no longer a king. You're forgetting the fact that the purpose and the primary reason that God gave kings in the first place. Even though God counseled against it for the people, the reason that he was okay is that the king's job was to protect and provide for the people, not to abuse them. Leadership is about providing and protecting people, helping them reach their full potential. It is not about robbing them of their dignity as a human being. The king's harsh words will lead to severe consequences. Far-reaching consequences than he could even imagine. Which brings us to our fourth and final observation. Verse 10 through 16. The king, king, verse 16 rather, the king is heard by the people. And verse 16 says, when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen. They had gone back and forth with this king. He would not listen. They answered to him they said, what portion do we have in David? You have to know the gravity of that. If you know history of the Bible, you know that these were all essentially relatives of each other. They were all brothers and sisters. All came from Jacob. all are from Israel. All the 12 tribes of Israel are all kinsmen. They're all family members. And they said, you are treating us because we're not part of your clan, your Judah clan. You are treating us like stepchildren. You are treating us worse than people. You are treating us than people you don't love. You are treating us like strangers. You are treating us like we're enemies when we're family. We don't have an inheritance with you. We don't have a portion with you. They say to him, why don't you look after your own house? Essentially, go back to Judah and rule in Judah. We don't want you here. The king's indiscipline in this one moment would cause great consequences that we will see that span all of time, even till today. Look at some of the consequences. In verse 18, we keep reading. We says. But all of the sons of Israel that were in Judah, yes, in the cities of Judah, he reigned over them because he had to go. But look at verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadram, who was over the forced labor, and the sons of Israel did what? They stoned him to death. The king's harsh words, the king's indiscipline leads to murder. Let me tell you what just happened here. Let me paint a picture for you. I came to the king to say that the taxes were too much. You tracking? Too many taxes. It's too much that we can't even bear it. The king then thinks it's wise to send the deputy director of the IRS to my house. Do you see the foolishness? What did you think was gonna happen? We were gonna sit and drink tea and then I'll be like, oh, you know what, I owe those taxes and even more. You triggered these people. You've already offended them to their core, told them they weren't yours. Then you send the ayah, you essentially sent this man to his murder, to his death. The consequences of foolish words. What we also know is that up until this point, Israel and the Northern Kingdom were joined together in what's called the United Kingdom of Israel, and they had experienced 80 years of peace and unity. 80 years. Of peace and unity destroyed in one moment. Words matter. Let's think about how we talk to people. How we label people. What we say to people. You ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words don't hurt me? That's a cute but wrong saying. Tell that to all the people who have died from online bullying. Tell that to the people who have been crushed by the words of a wrong counselor or a bad preacher who have misguided them and offended them. Tell that to people who have heard hard words from their spouse. I'm leaving you. Words matter. The gravity of our words may never be known because people don't always tell you that they're in pain. That's weigh what we say to people how we react to people, how we talk to our spouses, our children, our friends, the people that we have influence. Let's watch what we say. 80 years of unity, 80 years of peace destroyed in one moment because of an arrogant king. What's even worse? For the next 340 years, the northern and the southern kingdom did not have peace. The separation that happened in this moment Last, for the next 340 years, his grandchildren, great-grandchildren were fighting the war that he started. Even still, for 3,000 years, till now, Israel is still not united because of this king. This is his legacy. Because he chose to listen to unwise, ungodly counsel. Because he chose to live in an echo chamber where he heard only his voice reverberating from other people. This king destroys a kingdom. Consequences of this king reach far than he would ever imagine. Were you to ask him, I don't think he would know that it would go this far. But he found out quick, didn't he? Look in verse 18. Look what happened. Look at verse 18. After he had sent this man to his death and King Rehoboam made haste and mounted his chariot and flee. I bet you would flee to Jerusalem. That's what bullies do. That's what bullies do. They bully you until you you say no. Then they flee. He's never been a strong king. I guess his little figure isn't that bigger than his father, is it? Solomon stood his ground. Solomon was a real king. Whatever, however, Solomon's life ended, Solomon sought God initially. Solomon's first thing to say to God was, I don't want riches. I don't want wealth. I want to hear. I want to hear you. I want a listening heart, a live shamir, a heart that understands the word of God. Because he said, I can't lead these people unless you lead through me. That's the father whose legacy you said your little finger is bigger than. Israel runs him out of town, but rather than, bigger than his heart being broken, it's the lives that are destroyed. For the next 340 years, millions of people will die in endless war because you chose to listen to bad counsel, because you chose to serve yourself rather than people, because you chose to not bow to God. It's interesting to look at this man's life. He is the anti-type to Christ in every single way. Reroboam added to the burden of the people, but Jesus came to remove our burdens and give us freedom. Because who the son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Reroboam sought to further weaken the weak, to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we may be healed and have abundant life in him. And in his arrogance, dishonored his father. My little finger is bigger. No, no, Jesus, in every single moment, in his humility, loved and cherished and honored his father. He is the antithesis to Jesus. Rehoboam sought to grasp power. He felt entitled to lead. The Bible says Jesus emptied himself of all of his privileges and all of his powers just so that he can become man. and He can serve people. He chose not to, not to lord over people, not to be a king that dominated people, but to serve. Rehoboam was known by the example of his power. Jesus was known by the power of his example. It's a difference. When we think about Jesus, we often think about his sacrifice as being only at the cross. But his birth was the greatest sacrifice. What happens at the birth of Christ is that the eternal becomes temporal. The mighty becomes meek. God becomes man. King becomes servant. This Christmas, when you think about Christ, I pray we are raptured by the wonder of his birth. That the incarnation of Christ is that he who had all the riches became poor so that we who are poor become rich in him. The wonder of Christmas is that no, not a cute little baby Jesus in the manger, but that this is God who becomes man, who breaks into humanity to save us. Every other religion has us trying to work our way to God. This is the only religion that God works his way down to man. God comes down. Emmanuel, I will dwell with those who hate me and I will show them the beauty of who I am that they may love the only thing that's truly lovable. This is the wonder of Christmas. God becomes man. As we see in the life of Rehoboam, it's important to have good counsel. It's important to have good people, who godly people who would direct you to God. And not just make you feel better. People who will challenge your paradigms and your passions, the way that you think and the way that you see things. People who will will make you do better, challenge you to be your best self. Not people who are just happy with you being just yourself. But even more than having good counsel in people, I pray that we would encounter Jesus, the wonderful counselor. It's one of the titles that the Bible gives him, that he is a wonderful counselor. Every counselor, every person you know has to sort of pull information out of you. They've got to sit you down and pull information. But bless God that we have a miraculous, a wonderful counselor who knows your issues better than you. Who is not only able to help you get to the solution, but he himself is the solution. This is the wonderful counselor that we see in Christmas, that unto you a child is born and his kingdom has no end. He is the wonderful counselor. More than surrounding yourself with people, surround yourself in Christ. The counselor who knows you, he is a lover of your soul because he is the maker of your soul. He fashioned you and formed you. Even in the womb, put his name on you. He knows the Bible says he can count all the follicles on your hair. For some of us, that's easier. (laughs) But he has counted every follicle. He knows you. The Bible says he he keeps a bucket of our tears, all of our sorrows. He names them. A wonderful counselor who knows you better than your husband, better than your spouse, better than anybody could ever. Better than you know yourself. The greatest counselor he's a miracle counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Perhaps the question then is, how do I know him? And even as a Christian, how do I continue to encounter him? I've got one word for you. His word. He has written to you wisdom, eternal wisdom. Eternal wisdom that even the world can't grasp. The Bible says that a natural man cannot understand the things of spirit. But God gives it to his people. God gave us his word, his true word, to help guide us to navigate this world and navigate life. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy. It says that every scripture passage is inspired by God. That word inspired doesn't do it enough justice. It's the Greek word theopneustos. It's God breathe. It's breathed out through God. Every word of God is coming out of the very breath of God. Every word of God is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It inspires you unto some. God breathes life into us through his word. And all of God's word is useful for teaching, for pointing out errors, for correcting people, for training us so that we can have a life that is approved by God. When He goes further, it says, the word of God equips God's people so that they are completely prepared to do every single good thing is either you believe it or you don't. If you believe it, get in it. If you don't, keep listening to the bad counsel. We have a wonderful counselor. Christian, I want to encourage you to seek your counsel from God. Let that be your first step. God has informed people and given people gifts This is not a prohibition against counseling in general. This is saying that God is the author of true counseling. God is the wonderful counselor. To the non Christian in the room, to the unbeliever in the room, you may have 8 million questions. I know a God who has all the answers. I know a God who is the answer. Come to Him. Not to human beings. So far as they will punch point you to Christ, amen. But well, you come to God. Know Christ for yourself. Encounter him. And you'd be able to smell bad counseling. Amen? amen? Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word. This Christmas, Lord, we pray that we would be rocked by the beauty of Christ. That the incarnation will mean even more to us than it's ever meant before. That the wonder of Christmas would not be just for this season, but throughout all the seasons of life. That we would be renewed and refreshed with everything that happens in the world, with every bad king, every bad leader, every bad situation that we're in. May it cause us to hunger and thirst for the good God who loves us who, unlike we're born, bids us to come near and hears us and takes our burdens and gives us his privileges, his joy, his peace, his life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm new to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, You can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.